fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Friday greatest day of the entire week, my friends. You made it to the end. Pat yourself on the back. Do whatever you have to do to celebrate because you... Are ready for another weekend. I'm not ready yet. Hold on. So I don't get it. I push these live video streams on Facebook and then they don't make them public. They just make them private for me to see and I have to turn them public manually. I don't understand. Welcome into it. Boy, we have a lot to talk about today. It's going to be a fun one. Welcome in. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country. Multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting. However you watch or listen, welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. A little bit different show today for you. Bottom of this hour, we have Dr. Dick Simpson. He is a political science professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Andy, that sounds like a relatively left-leaning institution. It is. He sounds like a relatively left-leaning professor. Maybe. With his, he is the author of the new book, Democracy's Rebirth, The View from Chicago. So we recorded this a little bit earlier today, and I will play it at the bottom of the hour, but I want to play it in the sense of let's have a discussion about the thought mindset from someone that's deep inside the realm of Chicago politics, which he openly admits there is a massive amount of corruption going on in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. So it'll be an interesting conversation. Uh, obviously, you may not agree with a lot of what he has to say, but we do that for a couple of reasons. One, because I'd like to not be in an echo chamber. And two, I really want to understand kind of the thought process here so we can figure out better solutions to solve the nation's problems. So we'll do that at the bottom of the hour with Dr. Dick Simpson. Happy to have him on the program, and uh, we'll welcome him at the bottom here in just a little bit. Also, we have tomorrow. I do want to give a little plug for our syndicated program tomorrow over the weekend. I am really excited about this because we sat down with an individual, which we've had on the program before, Aria Lightstone. He is the former chief of staff to the ambassador of Israel under the Trump administration, who is a major individual who helped craft the Abraham Accords uh, for the peace in the Middle East. And obviously, we can see where that's at right now with the ongoing conflict in Israel. He's in Israel right now. Now, I did an interview with him today, and it's about a 20-minute conversation. Obviously, can't play it in its entirety in one segment because we don't have those long-a-talk segments here on this show. So, don't miss this weekend syndicated program because we're going to break it up into two parts and we're going to play the entire thing. It is that good. It is that important. And it is that mind blowing. It will probably make you tear up a little bit with some of the news that he's giving directly from boots on the ground living in Israel. In fact, he talks about his home that's about an hour, hour and a half from each direction of each border, one from the north and one from the Gaza Strip where he's had rockets literally blown up and exploded directly above his house, and they've been living in bomb shelters for the last week with the ongoing crises. So yet we did chat with Aria Lightstone. I had to reach out to him with all this going on to see if he was open to it, and he was absolutely interested and loved coming on back on the program. So we recorded that. We're going to play that on Saturday's show. Don't miss that one. 
whether you catch it with your local radio station, which wherever broadcasts it, or whether you pick it up on the podcast, it is a vital one, and I'm so excited to play that interview because it is a heavy one, and it is a very hard one. So we'll do that uh, this week. And I had to put a little plug in there because of that's going to be a fun conversation, along with all the other stuff we do because it's always entertaining and exciting, right? There's a lot to talk about today. I do want to start off with kind of a political story, but not really a political story, but it does bug me, and I have to get your thoughts on this one because, as you know, Right now in our segregated industry that is the economy right now, we support businesses that are pro-conservatism, pro-traditional values, pro-limited government, pro-anti-ESG movements, whatever you try to look at. Or maybe you're for those things and you try to support those types of businesses and corporations as well. We try to do what we can to spend our hard-earned money with businesses that actually promote our values that we hold dear to us. And usually we do a pretty good job of that. However... I'm curious on your thoughts with the with the new partnering that's happening with an organization, a sports organization that I actually like to support. What's trending today? So I don't know if you've seen the headlines this week, but apparently UFC, the ultimate fighter with Dana White. Dana White spoken at the Republican State uh, National Convention a few times, a very big Trump supporter, very, uh, very big conservative. Uh, he's a great individual. I love supporting the UFC, although I have to admit I have not watched a UFC fight since the Conor McGregor fight a couple years ago. And I'm waiting very impatiently for Conor McGregor to come back. Nonetheless, the news this week that broke was that the UFC has now partnered with Anheuser-Busch and Bud Light for their beer sponsor of the organization. Say what? I know. Now, most of us are still in a boycott with Bud Light because of their partnership with Dylan Mulvaney, which they kind of came out afterwards and tried to say that it was a mistake. It was one person that was in the PR team that ended up doing it. It wasn't even really a big promotion. They just did one can with Dylan Mulvaney's face on it, but the image didn't look good. To the point to where sales dropped dramatically. We saw near 6% shares of Anheuser-Busch drop quite dramatically after that. And Bud Light sales have yet to pick back up. Because conservatives don't want to be seen with a blue beer can in their hand that was Bud Light. Because it just doesn't look good for you anymore. Now, I never really drank Bud Light anyways because to me it tasted more like water. Growing up in Colorado, I was more of a Coors guy. Not saying that's any better with their political messages they've had throughout the years as well. But... I have not drank Bud Light, nor do I tend to do so. And I still have no interest in buying a Bud Light. The weird part is that Dana White, who I highly respect and I really enjoy from the UFC, made a statement, hat tip to Newsmax on this one for reporting this, where he was asked about it as one of his press conferences and said, quote, there are many reasons why I chose to go with Anheuser-Busch and Bud Light. Most importantly, because I feel we are very aligned when it comes to our core values and what the UFC brand stands for. I'm looking forward to all the incredible things that we will do in the years ahead. He goes on to say, which I can't say really on the radio, but when asked about the growing controversy about those that are protesting Bud Light, he went on to call them dummies, blank holes, as you know, and blankety blank stupid people for their opposition. Which, I mean, that's typical Dana White. If you don't know Dana White, that's just his typical fashion. So don't take that to heart and don't be really angry at him with that. So that's just how he responds to things. But he says, quote, everybody on every side of this deal that was involved, other beer companies and everything else, absolutely positively knows that this was not about money for me. We're going to end up with money no matter who we end up with, with those that were criticizing, say that it was nothing more than a money grab for the UFC company, which I agree. You could go with any beer company and make a buttload of money from those types of sponsorships. So 
I the the biggest part to me that really grinds my gears is the fact that they say that they have shared common goals and uh, kind of common values that they try to promote, which for the most part, Bud Light, Budweiser Company, Anheuser Busch really has been apolitical on most issues, but it was really that Dylan Mulvaney thing that hurt them quite badly, and they've been trying to do a PR um, uh, rebranding, so to speak, to try and boost their sales back up, and I don't know that it's necessarily worked. But maybe with partnering with the UFC, showing the masculinity that's in society with the UFC and the Ultimate Fighter, maybe that would help their branding. I will say that as a fan of the UFC, that I will continue to be a fan of the UFC because that's one of the last manly sports out there, that I'll still watch it, but it's not going to make me buy any Bud Light. In fact, I'll still drink the adult beverages that I enjoy, including the proper 12 Irish whiskey that's owned by Conor McGregor. So I guess do what you want to, but it did hurt me a little bit. It hurt me a little bit that we saw Dana White come out and say that they have shared common values because I don't know if that's necessarily true. So... I don't know. But to each their own, I guess, whatever they want to do. It is kind of interesting, though, with the partnership going on between the UFC and Bud Light. If you watch the UFC, will you be uh, partaking in the adult beverage of that Bud Light? Because, well, they're still not the most conservative, and I don't know that that's going to help the brand of Bud Light at all. The only thing it might do is damage the UFC a little bit. But in the traditional style of Dana White, he just don't care, man. So... There we are. In other news, going into Washington, D.C., I do have to give you some good news, though. I do. I I am excited. It's trending today. It's a Friday. We have to give some positivity out there right now. There is a new appropriations bill that has been completed by the House of Representatives and passed by the Republicans. I know. Celebrate. According to Fox News, House Republicans have touted their major victory, passing another one of their 12 different appropriation spending bills on Thursday yesterday, just days after Speaker of the House Mike Johnson was sworn in as that speaker as they passed the Energy and Water Development Appropriations Bill, which funds the Department of Energy and other related matters that passed with almost no Republican opposition. Now, obviously, I don't know the details of the bill. It may not be the best bill, but at the same time, even if it's not, it's a step in the right direction, is it not? There has not been a time really since the Barack Obama administration where we've actually had a full-on budget process been passed with the 12 appropriations bills. It's all been omnibus bills. Pass it to see what's in it. According to Nancy Pelosi, we just need to pass this massive monstrosity and just throw everything we need into it. And if you don't pass it and if you don't support it, you want people to die in the streets. <laughs> So now we have this next one, which is, I want to see number five, according to them. Uh, it is the, uh, let's see, it is this year's uh, fifth appropriations bill that was passed by House Republicans. So five out of 12, we're not in the clear yet, and we just have a few weeks left in order to get to the end of our continuing resolution deadline. That's the middle of November, but nonetheless, we are there. We're getting closer. One step ahead, and I applaud you for that, especially just days after our new Speaker of the House which I have to say, even if some, I was on a, I mentioned this before, I was on a podcast a couple nights ago as a guest chatting, and there was a naysayer about Mike Johnson saying that it wasn't really going to change anything in the House of Representatives with him being Speaker compared to Kevin McCarthy that was Speaker of the House. And I have to disagree, because while Kevin McCarthy sounded nice and he wanted to work together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and everything was going to be hunky-dory, while he sounded decent... Mike Johnson still has the same temperament, but he says 
a lot of really great things. The question is whether he's going to be able to fulfill them and actually fight for them and stand up for them. That's going to be the challenge. But, for example, this bill alone, I don't know the details of the bill, but according to Fox News, this appropriations bill for the Energy and Water Development Appropriations Bill cut spending for that department alone $857 billion. Oh, yeah. Say what? Let me put this into perspective. We're almost cutting almost a trillion dollars out of one appropriations bill. So is it going to save us from bankruptcy? No. Is it going to cut out all of the waste in federal government? Absolutely not. But is it going in the right direction? Absolutely. And if we're able to do that with more of these appropriations bills, we only have five done. If we can get the other ones done here relatively quickly, the next seven in the next three weeks, or even if we have to do one more extension of a continuing resolution at current spending levels with the optimism that we're going to see all 12 appropriations bills actually come out at the end, I am open to that negotiation. If we can see almost a trillion dollars come out with cuts on each of these appropriations bills, I am for delaying this temporarily to see us move in the right direction. Because guess what? It may not solve the issue right now, but Rome wasn't rebuilt overnight, was it? We've had decades of Democrats spending wastefully and completely bankrupting this nation. It's going to take us some time to get back on track. And if every appropriations bill comes out and we see some savings, we see some government cuts, we see some restrictions on some of these government agencies, then by golly, we're going to do this right thing. And it's happening under a conservative leader to where if this is done, even if the Senate begins to balk at it and they push back against it, we're going to hopefully, theoretically, optimistically, have a strong leader that's going to be willing to stand by it and say, well, this is up to you now. If you want to shut down the government because you don't want this, then that's up to you. But we've done our part and we've done it as an efficient, conservative Republican House. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You know, sometimes you just need a different voice. Maybe a different fresh face. Maybe a younger voice. Maybe a new demographic. Maybe something just a little bit different to freshen things up. And I think that's what we're seeing with new leadership in the House of Representatives. We had to go deep into the roster to find some new leaders like Mike Johnson to become Speaker of the House. And guess what? It seems to be working. The energy is there. The enthusiasm's there. And shocker, guess what? It all happened without one of those establishment, elite, wishy-washy, rhino Republicans that have been there for the last 30 years for the quote-unquote experience. One of the criticisms Democrats have had right now is that Mike Johnson has one of the least amount of experience only having like 6.8 years of experience in in the house before becoming speaker only second to a congressman that was voted in back in 1885 that had like 6.7 years of experience before uh, becoming speaker of the house so they're criticizing him for not having amount, uh, that amount of experience which really shows the elitism in DC that well, only someone who, who's been there for 40 years knows how to become speaker because they're the ones that know the system and they can rally and that's not true. That's not true at all. And look at what's happening right now. Now, if we stay on this course and he can stay true to his values and fight for what is right and be able to stand the pressure from the Democrats in the House and in the Senate and the presidency, then that's going to be a whole new thing. And all of this that was the three weeks of delay with the Republican Party trying to figure out our identity crises 
may just go to the wayside and may win back over Republican voters, especially going into a 2024 uh, big election year. But that fresh blood, that new vision, this new set. Look, even if he's not able to solve all the issues, which is the criticism of some, what's the difference between him and Kevin McCarthy? You know what? That's not he's not going to change anything. The messaging matters. What he says actually matters and what he does and how he stands on issues and the way he articulates it, not just to the caucus within the House membership, but to the American people, to Republican voters across the nation, and to just the general population trying to explain where we stand on issues. For example, he sat down with Sean Hannity on Fox News apparently yesterday talking about some of these issues, one of those being that shooter in Maine and the call now that we're hearing from Democrats again when it comes to gun control issues and trying to ban AR-15s and all this other stupid crap they're trying to do. And his response was pretty brilliant, actually. At the end of the day, it's the problem is the human heart. It's not guns, it's not the weapons. At the end of the day, we have to protect the, the right of the citizens to protect themselves, and that's the Second Amendment. And that's why our party stands so strongly for that. I agree with the comments of, of your guests there. This is not the time to be talking about legislation. We're in the middle of that crisis right now. Uh, but I just want you to know, and I want the American people to know, that all the members of the House here are deeply concerned about the families involved and everyone. And we, we pray for the law enforcement officers that are doing that hard job tonight that most people do not have the uh, bravery to do. You know, in Europe uh, and in other places, they use vehicles to mow down crowds at parades, where they've done that here in the United States. It, it's, it's not the weapon, it's the underlying problem. I, I believe we have to address the root problems of these things, and mental health, obviously, as in this case, is a big issue, and we've got to seriously address that as a society and as a government, and, and there's lots of measures pending on that as well. Did you catch what he said at the very beginning there? By the way, that head up to Fox News again during that interview with Sean Hannity that he had when talking about gun control. At the end of the day, it's the problem is the human heart. It's not guns. It's not the weapons. Something that we don't talk about. Something that's taboo to talk about. Something that the Democrats just dismisses. Oh, you just don't want to touch your special interests of the NRA and all those gun advocacy groups, right? You don't want to touch those. This is why we need some fresh blood. And the Republican Party, for being labeled as that old white guy party, we're looking at the new generation. Obviously, he's not the youngest guy. He's still like almost 60 or late 50s, whatever he is. But it's a new face. It's a new voice. It's a new leader, someone who hasn't been there for 40 years. It's a guy who has a good head on his shoulders. It's a guy who has a vision because he didn't have the upbringing as an establishment-type goon that's been there for the last 40 years. The Democrats aren't doing that. They're going back to the Bidens or the Clintons, or the Dick Durbins, or the Chuck Schumers, or the Nancy Pelosi's. They don't have fresh blood, except for Hakeem Jeffries, but you can see how far that's gone. It's not doing well for them. Lots more coming up on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is. Welcome back into the program. All right, I want to shift gears here a little bit as we sat down just a little bit ago, and I want you to really listen to this. We'll converse about it after the interview. Some interesting perspectives on this one. As we sat down a little bit ago with Dr. Dick Simpson, he's a political science professor from the University of Illinois, Chicago, and author of the book Democracy's Rebirth: The View from Chicago. As we talk about ways that democracy is crumbling and ways that he says that we can get it back. And this is what he had to say right here on The Voice of Reason. How are you, my friend? 
I'm very good, Andy. Yeah, excited to have you on here. Uh, as I mentioned, are we going through, obviously every nation goes through struggles, and we're a couple hundred years into our nation here, but we're seeing some challenges that I don't know that we've ever seen before. And while it may have been bad in prior times, after our revolution, during the Civil War and the Reconstruction period, uh, we're seeing some unique, I guess, challenges for the nation right now. But from your take, where are we right now when it comes to how we actually function and are we actually abiding by the laws that we had set up for ourselves? Well, there are two parts. Uh, first of all, uh, we're not alone. Uh, in 2020, 45 more countries saw their democracy decline rather than dem- democratic improvements. And that's different from the 1990s when we were adding democracies. Many more autocracies are coming up that is ruled by one person or a small uh, political party. And we're seeing the same effects here in the United States. It's not just in all the challenges of the speakership or the big agenda to avoid the government shutdown that's happening. We have fundamental challenges that lie behind all of those. Mm. Uh, What kind of fundamental challenges are they, do you think? Well, just to list um, seven or eight of them quickly, and then we can talk about whichever couple that you want to. Yeah. Uh, the racial and income inequality is greater than any time since the Great Depression or the Gilded Age. Systemic racism, we know, is still running rampant in the country, even after not only the Civil War, but the civil rights efforts. Money in politics, I think, is one of the worst problems, uh, both through campaign contributions and through lobbying that favors uh, wealthy businesses and individuals. Then voters in general are not participating very much. They've done more since 2016 to show up and vote, but they're not being able to participate at many of the other levels of government. And then there's political corruption, which is at an all-time high. I know a lot about that because Illinois is the third most corrupt state in the nation, (laughs) and Chicago is the most corrupt metropolitan region. And we've had cascading crises that we've had to deal with, like the pandemic, the economic inflation, the current problems of immigration, the high crime rates in cities. All of those things taken together with structural problems like we've seen in the House, in the Electoral College, and in the Senate filibuster, all of these come together to undermine our democracy. The systematic racism, I know obviously you're coming from Chicago, you see a lot of this, the inner city communities that are devastated right now. What can we do to fix part of these issues? And I think I I like to go back to the education system, I think for one, where I know especially, and you can probably elaborate a little bit deeper than I can, the education system in the city of Chicago takes a vast amount of the state budget for public education, yet they have still some of the lowest graduation rates, they have some of the lowest uh, test scores for individuals, so For some reason, there's still a glass ceiling above the education system, not giving people the proper education to be able to excel post-education. Where is this coming from, and how do we get this one back on track? So it's not a simple solution, but yes, you're correct that education is part of the problem. So is jobs, um, so is the high rate of unemployment and so forth. There's not just one problem. But if you look at education, um, what we find is that – the education system isn't producing as well. Now, the good news is that other than the pandemic, which is a separate problem, education in general has been improving. Uh, It has also improved at the community college level and at universities like my former university, where we're a minority-majority institution, as we're 
we're training Latinos, blacks, and Asians, uh, uh, even in more numbers than the whites. Um, whites still have plenty of opportunity for education unless they're poor. But it's, it's going to be a rebalancing of the system. And education is a part of the puzzle. But we also have, uh, I mean, unemployment in our black ghetto communities is as high as 40%. Yeah. And then it follows there's high levels of crime and so forth that come out of them. Sure. Affirmative action. I know that that's been a talking point with the Supreme Court making some decisions uh, going against affirmative action in certain universities across the nation. Has that helped or hurt, do you think, the situation for certain communities around the country in giving equal opportunity for certain uh, demographics to be able to have access to higher education or for workforce environments? Affirmative action has been a very big help in higher education. Uh, We have many more minorities who have opportunities to go to college than ever before. Uh, so that's been positive. The, uh, it doesn't mean we can't take account of the experiences people have, even if we can't just simply have them put on their application, I'm black or Latino or whatever. Um, we can understand their life story. What, what problems have they overcome? And so I think colleges are going to simply readjust how they think about the questions like race and not make it an automatic category. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, uh, in terms of the jobs, um, you know, the good news is the more minorities hold higher positions and so do women uh, than ever before in our country's history. I'm talking about the private sector um, and certainly in government. So we've made advances, but they're not enough. We haven't equaled the playing field. Uh, we've only made improvements in it since the civil rights era. What's the next step then? What to, what would be the next step to try and equal that playing field as opposed to just giving a little boost, but actually making it a full-on level playing field for everyone? What would that look like? Well, we have to start at a very early age um, to provide. First of all, the family has to be secure enough that they can actually have an opportunity to eat enough meals and, and focus on studies and so forth. Uh, but beyond that, uh, we have to start at... Uh, kindergarten and preschool to provide quality education for everyone, that uh, we lower the level of what we think of as public education down from first grade to preschool so that everyone has an opportunity. The Head Start program back 60s and 70s did make improvements, but it didn't become available to everyone. Uh, The high cost of daycare means that even relatively I love a working class. People don't necessarily have the kinds of programs for their children to stay in a good job. Yeah, We're talking with Dr. Dick Simpson. He is the uh, political science professor at University of uh, Illinois, Chicago, also author of the book Democracy's Rebirth, The View from Chicago. we got a few minutes here, but I want to shift to the one of the other topics you had mentioned, too, which is political corruption. And the more we see and we talk about issues going on in Washington, D.C., the more investigations we hear about from Donald Trump to Joe Biden and the Biden family to the Hillary Clinton family and so on and so forth, that the more polls that come out show that the vast majority of Americans distrust the politicians and distrust the system as a whole and say that they don't even believe that democracy should be a form of government use anymore. Now, obviously, we don't have a democracy. We have a constitutional republic, or at least we're supposed to have a constitutional republic, but at the same time, uh, with the, such a lack of faith in the government institutions and the politicians, is there a way to bring that faith back? Or do you think that uh, we're to that point 
where there's so many that have just turned away from it and just distrust it that uh, it's kind of a hopeless cause now. Again, you can do a study at the local level, and I'll just cite two statistics. Uh, in Illinois, 2,100 public officials have gone to federal prison mm. uh, since 1976. 1,800 of those have been in the Chicago metropolitan region. So, yes, it's not just that corruption is happening in Washington. It's happening at multiple levels. And basically, it uh, happens when one political party becomes a political machine and is able to uh, dominate government for decades and use the power of government to give services as favors, to get patronage workers into employment opportunities, to, to work the precinct not to do a good job in government, and to give crooked contracts so that businesses give them campaign contributions to pay for television ads and the like. Breaking that cycle, there are a bunch of things that can be done. Of course, electing good people to public office who are, in fact, going to carry out reforms is one of them. But fundamentally, um, we in Illinois have begun requiring civic engagement education in the eighth grade and in high school. That is, we hope to train up a new generation that know the, the costs of corruption, the causes of corruption, and the cures for corruption. It is a generational project. It's not simply trying one person uh, and putting them in jail. Yeah. Uh, we've done that in Illinois, like I say, 2,100 times, and it hasn't eliminated corruption. We have three major corruption trials, with multiple defendants going currently. Last question for you, and I know we're running short on time, and I appreciate your time very much, but uh, bringing that back down to the local levels, do you think that maybe we've started that process since, I would say, really the COVID-19 pandemic, after we realized that Many communities at the local level, the school boards, the city councils, the county commissions had the ability to shut down your business, tell you you're not essential, tell you to go home. We realized that they had a lot more power than I think what we knew and that what we had paid attention to when we weren't going to city council meetings on, our, on a semi-regular basis. Do you think that those political issues are beginning to come back down to that local level and that focus is kind of being uh, restructured a little bit? I think people are more interested in government. The voting level has gone up in general. Uh, but you have to have an, an institutional mechanism to be able to harness that. In cities like Chicago, we're experimenting with various forms of neighborhood government. A number of cities like Washington, D.C. and Seattle have already had neighborhood government for decades. We know how to do the structures of neighborhood government. We just don't have them in most places in America. Likewise, in the suburbs, in the smaller units of government, we need to redo how they hold the county board meetings and the school board meetings and the like. Um, you know, what we need is a new social movement or a new political movement in the country that demands we have democracy. We've said we believe in democracy, but we haven't tried it. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes here on the home front. Let's just carpe diem all over this place, baby. Which, by the way, I got to get a hat tip. I love my listeners. You guys are awesome. Great friend. So, great listener of the show. Good friend. Uh, ended up swinging by and dropping off a little goodie for me today. Where, as you know, that's our saying here on the show. We're going to carpe diem all over this place. You know, making fun of the carpe diem. Let's seize the day. 
uh, brought me, and I can't really say the whole thing on the radio for FCC purposes, but if you are watching the video stream, I do <laughs> have it here. You can read it, but it's just a little uh, keychain deal, and it says Carpe Diem that blanking DM. I'm down with that, baby. Bring it on. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, it's the little things. It's the little things like that. So I appreciate that very much. I have the best listeners in the world. Love you guys to death. So, uh, yeah, we like to have a little bit fun on this program, including our interviews and our guests. Thanks again to Dr. Dick Simpson. He is a political science professor, University of Illinois, Chicago. Now, that by itself should put into perspective kind of the angle of coming and obviously i don't agree with everything that he had said but it was an interesting i appreciated it it was an interesting discussion we'll have him back on for another discussion on some stuff later his book democracy's rebirth the view from chicago there were a few different pieces that stuck out to me during that interview because i can hear some people yelling at the radio <laughs> with some of those comments uh for one i disagree that there is systematic racism in society i do not agree with that i believe that there is racism I believe that there are racist people out there, unfortunately, most of them coming from the left side of the aisle that have to put everybody in boxes based on identity politics and judge you. And unfortunately, that still exists. Looking at people based on their skin color, their gender, their religious views, their whatever, that there's a lot of judging and judgmental views out there. And that is unfortunate. But I don't believe that the entire system itself is built based on a racist connotation. I don't believe that the entire system is rigged against one group or another. I do not believe that. There are very wealthy and well-off people of all races, genders, equalities, yada, 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 and there are very low income and poor destitute individuals from all of those above as well. Prime example that he even mentioned during the conversation was I had to throw out the conversation about affirmative action. And obviously the Supreme Court shooting down affirmative action at some universities and him saying that affirmative action has done very well for society, which I disagree with because you're basing, again, your qualifications to get a higher education based on your skin color, not on how well you've done in education. And if the education is not there to give you that equal opportunity, then that's a failure in the school system, which I had to make that comment during the interview that Illinois literally went bankrupt as a state. Because all of their money, literally 100% of all their funding that was allotted to them was going towards the education system and the pension plans. And the education system, 90% of all that funding was going to the Chicago inner city public schools within the uh, city limits of Chicago. And guess what their college preparatory readiness was for graduate students? Zero percent. So all the money's going there and they're not getting the high education. That's a progressive liberal run city where they're getting all the money and no standards are coming out of it, and then they're saying that they don't have the equal opportunities for them to get a higher education and to be able to be successful in society thereafter. That's a progressive system. That's what Democrats, that is the social experiment that progressives have created. So you can't say that, well, the opportunity's not there. If the opportunity's not there, then what the hell are you doing with 90% of the funding for education in the state of Illinois? And that should be the question on everybody's mind. So, But if you mentioned, if you heard it, the universities, as he said, that while affirmative action may have been a good thing, that they're changing how they look at affirmative action, not just based solely on a skin color, but now based on the personal stories of an individual to where it could be a white individual or a black individual or an Asian individual or whatever, to where it's not solely based on that skin color, but based on that personal story, which 
Okay, so now we're going to go from just looking at someone's skin color to hearing the sob story like we hear on America's Got Talent. We're all like, oh, my father just died from cancer, so I need to win the million-dollar prize on America's Got Talent. Like, that's the curriculum we're now going to have as, again, a standard to allow individuals into a college. Nothing based on the actual educational qualifications of I made good grades, I studied X, Y, and Z, I am prepared to go on to my higher education because of X, Y, and Z. They're not looking at those qualifications. So again, we're finding a new way to lower the standards instead of raising the standards and finding the best ones in there to excel in society and to make society go to the next step in our progression of technology or understanding or smartness or whatever we want to look at. We're just lowering again now and say we're just going to look at different emotional factors that bring the tear to our eye and make us feel all warm and cozy inside. That's not the best way to create a society. Not the best way to have an educational system either, but I appreciate the conversation from Dr. Dick Simpson. We'll have him back on the show again soon. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. We're back at it again for our uh, weekend show, our show on Monday again. Everybody have a great weekend. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.